Welcome to the Sports Epreneur Podcast, the podcast for sports and entrepreneurship collide, a Kessource production. In this episode, we discuss the length of basketball seasons, why a game matters, and the upcoming NCAA rule changes. This podcast exists in large part because of CASIM, the content marketing team inside Kessource Inc. So what does CASIM do? You know how many business leaders need help communicating their story? That's what we do. Content creation and content distribution for business leaders. This provides opportunities, relationships, and a platform for you and your business. Why do we do this? Because at CASIM, we exist to help entrepreneurs create and share amazing content. Learn more by visiting CASIM.com. Our guest is Coach Alan Major. With Coach Major taking a redshirt year, he was able to find time to come talk basketball with us. Coach Major is a former assistant at Ohio State, Xavier, and other schools. He is also the former head coach for UNC Charlotte. I had a lot of thoughts around basketball that I wanted to talk through. Who better to do this with than friend and former podcast guest, Alan Major? Let's get right into this chat with Coach Alan Major. On your website, at the very top, I love it. It says, find your goal and achieve it. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of discussion about goals and achievement and success and, and all that. A lot of it comes down to, for, for me and I think for you as well, just because I can tell based on how that line reads, simplicity is super important. What's your goal? Yeah. Go out and achieve it. Now, obviously, you got to get deeper on that to understand like what is your goal right. and what are you going to do to achieve it and all the different things that you got to do. But that stands out. And if it's front and center on your website, I got to imagine that's an important thing for you. What does that mean to you? You know what? I think just looking at myself, I always knew that when basketball ended, I wanted it to be a part of my life. And and it's funny, uh, I've been writing a book over the past year and a half or so, really a couple of years, but I'm doing it longhand. So you can imagine it's it's different than somebody just pecking away. But it's flowing out out of me easier because it goes from my heart to my hand to the pen to the legal pad, which that in itself has been therapeutic for different reasons. That's a different conversation for a different day. But this writing has basically forced me to look back on a lot of my life and career. And all these little moments are almost even more crystallized now because I've been writing about them and been putting them on paper. And the the find your goal, achieve it really just meant for me personally, and the, and the people, the company here in Indy that put the website together, we had some conversations about how we wanted it to look. And I just knew that I wanted basketball to be a part of my life. Uh, you know, and I, I thought it was coaching. I just felt like that was the next most logical thing. But, you know, you can want to be a doctor, but then you see your first cadaver and it's like, whoa, you know, let me try real estate. Yeah. But you never yeah. really know, you know. Yep. <laughs> And so I've been one of the lucky and fortunate and blessed ones out there to actually know that coaching was what I wanted to do. And, and it's even ended up being even better than I could, could have possibly imagined it. When I look at, because this writing, this book has forced me to look back at these certain touch points and milestones. And, you know, they say in the Bible, you know, they, people would put stones at certain places to mark something special that happened. So when people would see this stone at a certain area, they would, it would signify a, a significant event. And that's kind of what I, this writing, this book has forced me to do. And 
So that's kind of what finding finding your goal and achieving it means. I mean, everybody's got to do that for themselves. Is it's not just about money and finances and what's going to be the most financially lucrative. It's about you know what what gets your heart thumping when you wake up in the morning. And um, I've been again, I've been very lucky and blessed. The basketball's always been that for me. Let me pause there. We talked originally and we got into some stories. We talked about how you walked into St. John's Arena and you said one day you're going to coach here. We talked about you on the courts, on the, in the driveway when you were a kid and you're directing traffic. Mm-hmm. You're telling where people to go. You're setting the play. So we got into the depth of that story. And that obviously yeah. rings true today because it's still your goal. It's still this journey you're on. You've had some tough things happen to you this offseason with your mom's passing. And there's a lot going on in life. And yet mm-hmm. through all of this, you have your goal and you're setting out to achieve it, but it's a process. It's, there's milestones, like you said, along the way. Like mm-hmm. it could be record my first podcast, let's just say. Well, that's a milestone. If you do that, that's not maybe the end of the thing. Maybe you want to become the next Joe Rogan or you want to build a podcast platform to help you, whatever those things are. Yeah. But now I'm sitting there, it has to be a few weeks ago, and I'm watching an NBA game on TV, I think. Or I think I had an NBA game TV and I was flipping back and forth and the college game was starting. I think it was like Michigan State was playing. And I'm yeah. thinking, it's early November. The C- NBA season just started. College basketball season literally is just starting. And college basketball will go until very early April. NBA will go until early June. We are just getting going. And there's teams that have already started that have no chance of winning anything along the path in the NBA. They're not going to win their division. They're not going to win their conference. They're certainly not going to win the NBA championship. And we don't know, you know, there's a give and take. This year's going to be a little bit different than the NBA. College basketball, yeah, there's, you get better opportunities if you can make the tournament, maybe you can win your conference, win the conference. There's different goals along the way. Sure. What I started to like, and I've done this before, and I'm like, this is a long season. It's a very long season. How, and we got to dive into this because that was, there's many reasons I like in talking to you, but I was like, I want to yeah. talk to someone with experience who's gone through this because I think it applies to business. I think it applies to life. I get it. This is a product. This is an entertainment that a lot of people are making a lot of money doing. So there's, there's that component of it. But how do, how do teams look at it? And we can, you know, again, like I said, dive into this thing. How do you look at this long season that's playing out? It's like game one or game six of the season. And you have, in the NBA, you have 82 games to go. And understanding that every team's got different goals or different paths, let's say, that they want to go down, that's a lot. Because you can get out of bed every morning and say, I love playing basketball, and that might be it. But it's got to be demoralizing at times, too, when it's like, I'm doing the same thing over and over again. We are not even close to the end of it. Our goals are so out of sight right now. There's a lot going on in all I just said, but I want to just kind of start unpacking that a little bit, if we could. Yeah. Because... I mean, you heard this. I'm sure you've seen this before and you've gone through this in your own head. Yeah, I, you know what? I think, Eric, it all starts with, and you, you said it a second ago, every organization's got something that they're trying to get done, right? So, you know, if you're the, let's just say the New Orleans Pelicans right now, you know, you've had some injuries, things haven't obviously gone your way. You've got a team that if you actually need it out, Averaged out the the average age, you're probably 
slightly older than a very experienced mid-major team. Meaning like in the mid-major team that's got a bunch of juniors and seniors, you know, they're 21, 22, yep. maybe a grad transfer or two, maybe you're older. You're probably not too far off just age-wise from the New Orleans Pelicans in terms of age. So right. they've got to look at themselves through a different lens than, you know, one of the teams I was actually fortunate to see in training camp for two days, the Denver Nuggets. The Denver Nuggets had their top 10 guys back from last year, which is very rare in the NBA with all the movement, but they had their, their starting five and then they had their second unit. Really, I'm sorry, there are nine guys that they added, Jeremy Grant from Oklahoma City, which evens out and makes a pretty good 10 guys. So the Denver Nuggets are looking at their season in a totally different light than the New Orleans Pelicans. Um, and so then it happens at the college level. A coach in year one has got to look at it in a totally different light than Michigan State, who was picked preseason number one. So I think the alignment of everyone involved from, you know, in the NBA, it's ownership and management and coaching staff, even to the college level, athletic director, coach, even president, school president, whatever it is. Like, I think the more aligned a place is, then they're able to kind of paint this picture of what are we trying to do this year? And then once you kind of get aligned organizationally with that, then you can, you know, one thing that we like to do when I was at Ohio State and, and Coach Mato was great at it, you know, we had, you know, you're, you're looking at 30, 30 to 32 games before you get to the NCAA tournament. And that's part of a long year. Like you want your year to be long because that means you're pretty good. <laughs> so yep. that's part of it. That's part of it too. Like if you have a really but in, long, and in that, we'll keep going on the Mata thing. I want to touch back on that point, though. Yeah, I think what he would do is just kind of compartmentalize the year. So you know, we would kind of look at it as, and I'm going to even take it to the start of the school year, till the end of the school year. So the start of the school year, you know, guys come back to school, everybody gets organized and all that, and then we kind of get into our skill development phase, you know, where we're doing skill stuff. And now they let you actually, from the first day of school, you can have your whole team in there. So every coach looks at that differently based on what they need and what they're trying to do. They may have an older team and say, Hey, you know what? We, this team kind of knows each other really well. Let's take this first period from mid August till we get into the start of practice in late September. Let's just shoot. We're just going to do a lot of shooting, a lot of skill. These guys have been around their experience. Somebody else might need that time to say, hey, we got to get some team stuff in. We're going to start doing as much team stuff as we can right away because we have a brand new group. None of these guys know each other. I'm the first year head coach and we got four transfers. So, but he would compartmentalize, you know, this, the skill building phase. And then you'd have the kind of training camp phase, which is kind of like the start of practice up until your first exhibition game. And then you kind of have your non-conference phase, which takes you from late October, early November until, and right now conference games are starting earlier because leagues are, you know, some leagues, the Big Ten, you know, Big East, I think even playing 20 conference games. So 
they're starting early. So you have early December, mid-December kind of conference play starting. And then you get into, from that point on, now you're in your conference phase. And then whatever the postseason may bring. So, and Phil Jackson would do this in the NBA. You know, basically he would take the 82 games and he would basically take make it eight, 10-game seasons. And so things when things are compartmentalized like that, it basically makes a long season chopped up into certain ch- chunks. And then when, when then you just kind of move the team developmentally from one chunk of the season to the next. And then how you're playing, how you're doing, injuries, all those things kind of give you the, the answers to the test on how to move through these chunks in kind of like a, in a developmental fashion with the goal being a college team by March and NBA team by April that you're playing your best basketball. Yeah. And you said we got it. You need the season to be long because I'm thinking about you have to develop your plays. You have to develop your strategy, the attitude Mm -hmm. that you're going to have when you take the court, the culture that you're going to have. There's going to be moments in time when certain players, you didn't realize that they had this leadership quality or this toughness quality or this quality like, I can't take him off the floor because every time he's, he's on the floor, something good happens. Or the identity that you right. have these things develop. I think back to like Kentucky last year, you know, Kentucky gets blown out in the early game and you're like, wow, this team just doesn't have it. Coach Cal's he's just off to a bad start at this team. Next thing you know, they're, they go on this very long run you know, PJ yeah. Washington takes off and, and, you know, even look at him, people doubted him. Oh, he's going to be in the G league. Next thing you know, he's starting for the Charlotte Hornets. I get it. The Hornets aren't a great team, but they're playing well. But long story short is there is this length to the season. That's important because sometimes as a fan or as people in business, it's like, wow, game seven on a Tuesday night at seven o'clock and it's raining. What, what do I care about this? The team's not that good. There's these different things going on. So from a fan's perspective, they're like, what's the value in it? But right. if fans can get into the depth of what, like, I get it, they have a different perspective than the team and the coaches and the the management would have. But it, but if everyone was on that page and understanding like where we're going, we're developing the identity. Yeah, would we love to go on a run somehow and win the championship this year? Of course, and and you know things happen, crazier things certainly have. But this is what's going to develop the team down the road. And this game today might be the reason why next year we make the playoffs. And the year after that, we're in the conference semifinals or we're in March Madness, we're in the Sweet 16, right? Whatever sport it is uh, or whatever level that is. Right. But there's that. It's difficult because you talk to people and you'll hear it. College basketball, the season's too long. The only thing that matters is March Madness. And then you look at the NBA, it's like, call me when it's April when the playoffs start. Actually, call me in the second round when the playoffs start. That's right. what I'll pay attention to. And, 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 you know, I get it. And those are people that are, you know, fans at certain times. And there's nothing wrong with that at all. There's a lot of stuff going on. But at the same time, without this growth, without this time when you can develop like the units, like you watch the Houston Rockets as they're trying to figure out how do we play Westbrook and Harden together? Or do we not play mm-hmm. them together? And when we do play, they're de- they're like getting ready for the playoffs or for their post for their run at the end of the season to say, yeah. what's our best u- two units? So you need yep. this length of the season, but it's complicated when you bring the business aspect and the fan aspect to this, that it's like, right. what am I paying attention to? But someone like yourself seeing it for man, you just turn on basketball and watch it. And you're like, this is what I want to see. It's not about the playoffs. It's about game six, actually. Yeah, exactly. No, you just described the size of the gap between how a fan thinks 
and how coaches think, and it's probably the difference between planet Earth and Pluto. <laughs> That's good. Um, yeah. And and I'm not saying that to denigrate a fan's mindset. You know, I don't mean that at all in a negative way. Uh, That's I, just how I, I totally big the understand. gap is. Because, yep. you know, a coach can look at the, uh, you know, maybe talk to a fan after the game and maybe they get into a conversation. It's like, hey, what do you do? I said, well, I, you know, I sell insurance and, you know, I, I travel, I drive around. And a coach may think, oh, gosh, you know, some wintry day when you got to drive from Indianapolis to Champaign, Illinois, like, my gosh, you know, whew. And so the coach may talk to the fan and they walk away from each other. And he doesn't understand that that dreary day when that guy has to drive from Champaign, Illinois, or from Indianapolis to Champaign and, and do this thing for State Farm could be very instrumental in how that guy's year ends. So, yep. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but there's always going to be that gap between one entity understanding the other, because again, yeah, that state farm guy, like that's his baby. That's how that's, that's something that he enjoys. And that's something that he cares about and he's passionate about. So that drive to Indy, the champagne, like it's a really big deal to him. Yeah. Well, it's yeah. just the same as, as you know NBA game six or NCAA basketball, you know, college basketball game number 11 when Michigan State's playing against Moorhead State or something. Right. That's, a, that's an important game because there's so much more going on. Who's injured? Who's healthy? Ah, we, this guy's out for two games. We got to put a new starting guy in the lineup. Well, every time somebody gets hurt, regardless of the level high school, college, pro, a coach is coaching a different team. So the level of information and in what the outside people look at as a game that's seemingly uneventful or boring or like whatever, like the level of information that's coming from like, here's somebody, a starter's hurt. Now we got to put a, a bench guy in that hasn't started before. We're going to learn a lot. Like Michigan State learned a lot about Malik Hall when they beat Seton Hall the other night. Like, I don't know if you watched that game, but Michigan State is playing uh, a war. I mean, it was like a Sweet 16 level game against Seton Hall in the, you know, they, they had the Gavit games you know, that were going on. Yep. You know, Big Ten versus Big East. Michigan State last week is in a literally a March level game. Um, as much a high level as you're going to see in the month of November. And a kid named Malik Hall came off the bench either hadn't scored all season or hadn't hit a three all all season. I can't remember which comes in the game. And I think he goes six for six from the field and has like 15 points and plays huge down the stretch and helps Michigan state win. Michigan state, Tom Izzo didn't see that coming. (laughs) So somebody, somebody might look at that game and say, gosh, you know, Michigan state's eating all. Okay. Yeah. You know, we'll see what, see what the score is. Probably was a good game. A fan looks at that differently. Whereas Tom Izzo, like after that game's going, wow, we just—I just had a guy go up tonight. That's gonna—that's yeah. gonna help us. So you illustrated probably as good as I've ever heard it. That's the size of the gap between the fans thinking, a coach's thinking. But again, I—I I think the illustration of a coach and a normal fan, the you know the State Farm guy, that that's his baby and that's his life and that's his passion. Again, that Indianapolis to Champagne Drive 
to somebody on the outside and they think, gosh, hope you got XM radio or watercolors or something, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, there's a, there's a psychological thing going on here too. And I've, if you watch fans with teams that are doing well, they associate themselves with that team. We Absolutely. won, right? So you could be that insurance agent in Indianapolis who's following the Indiana Pacers. If the Pacers are doing well, let's call this, you know, he's got this going on. And you can say, we won. Now the Pacers, let's say the Pacers stink. He's like, they stink. You disassociate right. yourself with them. It's no different than I'm down here in Charlotte, North Carolina. And no, don't get me wrong. Clemson's got a lot of fans, very diehard fans. But all of a sudden, the amount of orange you see when they're rolling is yeah. I've never seen so much orange in my life. And I get it. You know, they're having fun with it. They should enjoy it. But it's new people because there's existing fans that have been there. It's more enjoyable, though, if you're there for the ride. Now, I'm not one to sit there and say, well, you weren't there then, so you don't get. No, people can do it however they want to do it. And we're not here to judge those people. We can, you know, talk about it. Right. But there is that, like, I'm from Buffalo, New York. The Buffalo Bills have this passion and a lot of it comes from all of their losing seasons. It comes from being defensive yeah. about the weather of the city, about everyone railing on them. You lost four Super Bowls. If the Bills ever, the Bills made the playoffs. They backed into the playoffs a couple of years ago. The city lost it. They almost got, I think uh, they scored three points in their playoff game. It got to a different level because people are so behind it. You're still going to have Bills fans come out of the woodwork. It happens. There is something, though, about being a part of that journey, which I know the team deals with because, like, remember two or three years? Remember three years ago when we were in last place and now we're on this path? We're in first place. The media wants to talk about it. We're being featured on the main game on ESPN or what have you. <laughs> right, There's something right. there, too. It's just as a fan, it can be hard. So I like Buffalo's one. Ohio State's another one right now because we're in the middle of the college football season. I don't know where the season goes, but like they just played Rutgers as we're talking about this. And you're like, they're 51 and a half point favorites. A lot of people could look at that and be like, why would you even waste your time watching that game? To me, because there's few things that you can get so that involved with, I enjoy it because, oh no, no, we're going to get to see the third string play. We're going to get to see this true freshman play. We're going to get to see how they respond to these things. What are they working on? And they do certain plays and you're like, oh wow, he's putting that on tape for the, for two weeks down the road. Or do you see what they ran there? They're going to throw out of that formation sometimes, but they're just setting the things up and it's a lot of fun to watch it. That's what's happening in basketball. You know, I live in Charlotte. The Charlotte Hornets are an example off season. It's like, I like the coach. I think he's a good coach. I just think that going into the season as a fan outside, there's not a lot of passion around that team in this city at all. If they get good, they'll get passion. And you know it because you were here. But there's also this journey. And now they're on this little path. They got these young guys. They're hitting buzzer beaters. They're winning. They're maybe not going to go to the playoffs. I don't know. But there's something fun about it. But I get it because it's like they're shooting very well that streak could end and they might not shoot very well and they lose and they end up in the lottery like many expected. Right. There's this journey because maybe in two or three years they will get on the path, but the fans are so much in doubt that Jordan can't lead the team that, you know, cup not going to be able to do it. I guess what I'm saying is <laughs> get on the ride because it's a lot more fun, but it's also exhausting yeah. because the seasons are so long. So kind of looking at it from the fans perspective there more. Yeah, no, that, that makes total sense. Absolutely. So, you know, what comes down to it is, you know, the level of your passion is always going to be reflected in the level of your investment, right? Right. 
which translates again, that's, that's a sports life business thing as well. Whatever you're passionate about, you're going to, you're going to put two things in it. You're going to put your, your, your love into it and you're going to put your time into it. And the more passionate, whether it's Cubs or Bills or <laughs> uh, whatever yeah. type of a fan, you know, hard times unify people as well. That's another yep. kind of common thread. You know, I mean, the Bills fans, they can look each other in the eye and they know what they've been through. No one else does. And they know it. But it makes them hug each other, you know, uh, strangers are hugging strangers at tailgates, you know, an hour before kickoff. Because they just like, you know what, right. here, we, here we are. You know, yeah. it's, it's, it's still about the Bills. After all that, this is all still about the Bills. And so, you know, so the level of, the level of, of passion that you have in something is going to be reflected in your level of investment. So the more invested and passionate the fan is, then those meaningless games do have a little bit more. You just described it, right? You're watching Ohio State Rutgers. I thought they'd score 80 points. I was actually shocked it was only 52, you know? That's but right. still, like, you're watching a game that to 95% of people is meaningless, but because of your passion as an Ohio State fan, your investment in a meaningless game was reflected because you're thinking, all right, this isn't about whether they're going to win or not. This is about, like, developmentally, how's this going to, what might get reflected here in the next two weeks? Or are they going to kind of do a little trickeration or something and try it in this game that they may try in the big house in two weeks? So you're thinking like that, you know, and that's kind of how, how we coaches are thinking in a game that's, you know, Michigan State is 99.8% chance that they would beat a Moorhead State. It's not about so much whether they're going to win the game or not. It's like, ah, against Moorhead State, this one starter can't play. we got to put this other guy in. So what kind of information are we going to have in two hours that's going to benefit us moving forward? It's the same thing. Yeah, data. You said information, data. There's just so many different ways to look at it when you look at business or or in basketball. And it's that passion too that you talked about, like hugging at the tailgate or just understanding what we've been through together. Whether that's the fans, I think that's like you're saying, that's what's going on in the locker room. That's what they're thinking about in practice. For sure. These come together moments where you're traveling as a unit, you're going to this place where, yeah, chances are you're going to win. But, you know, I'm sure coaches can look at a win and say, no, 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 that wasn't a good win. And the other team in a loss might have had a good situation because we just played the number one team in the country, let's say, and we played them and we didn't back down from them and we had our moments. And yeah, they have all five-star athletes out there. So there's different things. So I guess it kind of goes back to your point of, you know, every organization, every team, every person even has different goals of what they're trying to achieve. And if you can align those things, it's kind of like you're saying, then we can get onto something. And you said something a little while ago is that dreary day, like, I go back to your blog and I'm looking, I'm like, that's an article. That dreary day is the difference, I believe, of what are you doing on that dreary day when you show, and we can all, I'm sure anyone who's been in business or in sports long enough has had those days. And that's the, that's the difference. And it's hard to explain. And I think I'm, I guess what I'm doing is I think about this stuff. I don't know, you know, and I think it applies to so many things. And that's why I want to talk to people that have lived it to say, what are you seeing? Because sometimes I'll get fresh. I'll watch this game. I'm like, this is pointless. And other times I'll watch it. And I'm like, oh, this, the game matters. I, I wrote an article a couple of years ago. 
And what's funny is I wrote this article and just recently someone reached out to us because of that article and they wanted our help with their marketing for their business, right? And the yeah, article was yeah. about this game matters. And it would, and I related it to my son and I playing one-on-one basketball in the driveway. And I'm like, there's not a person out there, maybe a couple people in the house that are curious, like who won the game? But we cared about the game, right? Oh, like, yeah, yeah. It mattered who won yeah. the game. Like, uh, like my son's hitting these random shots. Like, these aren't supposed to go in. And now I got to play for real. And, you know, I got to right. I'm not letting him beat me. And so <laughs> you got <laughs> that's life, right? So that matters. And I think I was watching, it was a couple years ago, I was watching a bowl game, like early December, mid-December. And you're like, these kids are out there playing. They're playing mm-hmm. hard. The weather was terrible. There wasn't even a lot of people there, but these guys were yeah. playing for it because that game mattered. Was it the national championship? Not even close. But that game matter who won? It did. And I know people are sitting out because there's other sides of it. It's like, you know what? A lot, some of these kids are going to the NFL and there's decisions to be made there, but it's like the game matters and you can isolate it, not know anything about what's going to happen the rest of the season. Turn on the TV and Michigan State's playing Seton Hall, you could care less. And you know what? You're going to watch two teams go at it for you yeah. know for different reasons. They're, they want to win the game, but there's different things going on there. And that can be kind of cool. And I think if we think about it like that, we can have more fun than as opposed to, oh, they only won by this many points, or they did this, or this guy can't shoot. And there's a lot of hate. There's a lot of social media. There's a lot of you know keyboard yeah. warriors would call them, right? Yeah. No, you're right. And you know, obviously, the fantasy football world and you know, now the legalized gambling thing has really kind of exacerbated a lot of that thought, right? Because it, it's those two things are so popping in out of the microwave, take it out 30 seconds, like what happened? You know, how's it look? And this, this uh, you know, can, how quickly can I get results? And, and so the, the fantasy world and the, the legalized gambling world has now exacerbated and accelerated this just results oriented thinking. So the thing that on the flip side, you know, coaches and, you know, and, and sports and business and, and life, few things are more unifying than shared suffering and than shared experiences. Right. And so, you know, you mentioned the Bills fans, that's some, they, they get, they understand shared suffering. Like if you just kind of ducked in the East tailgate and, talked about their history and you know but you know what they they don't they're they're like hey we get it but we're still here yep and you know that's not that's we're we're not inching away like i'm still putting my jersey on every week i get it four super bowls no well but that shared suffering that unifies both fans and it unifies teams i mean i i feel i don't mean to beat the michigan state drum over and over again but I was one of the one of the teams I got to visit during my little training camp period, and I spoke to a kid named Josh Langford. He missed the entire season last year. Terrific player for them, and had a foot injury, and it's just you know finally it was back practicing again. I was actually practicing the day I was there, and then come you know just a few weeks ago, he's out again indefinitely because this nagging foot injury has popped up again. Catches Winston just uh, a week ago or 10 days ago, not even that, I think, loses his brother to a, a, you know, his brother gets hit by a train and gets killed in a train accident. All this has happened in literally like the last three weeks. Yeah. You could, you could safely say that's enough adversity for an entire season. 
and they've had it's November nineteenth. <laughs> but as a result, whatever their team, however their team finishes, are they final four good? Maybe I think so. Does that mean it's going to happen? I don't know. Right. You know, most casual fans are either going to be concerned about does it happen, does it not? You know, if it does, we're great. If it doesn't, we suck. Right. Versus Tom Izzo is saying, how can we take this adversity and use it to just galvanize us so that no matter what we face the rest of the year, nothing's going to crack us because what we're just going through right now with, with Langford being hurt and Cash just losing his brother, like what I'm trying to teach these guys is so much bigger than whether we go to the final four or not. It like, because that's the beauty of getting to coach is you get to take stuff that happens along the way, real life stuff. And you get to bring that back into the locker room and you get to bleed that into these guys because eventually, you know, if you're just worried about the four years, then you're going to think, or the, when you, this particular team and what happens and what doesn't, it's, it becomes a very unfulfilling profession. When you start thinking about how everything we go through is about growing these guys, both collectively as a group and growing them individually as a person. And now how can we use these experience experiences, both shared good experiences, great wins and devastation using that too. John Calper was talking about the other day, like they lost to Evansville. Every Kentucky fan probably thinks their season's over. Right. You know, yep. he was in his press conference talking about being thankful. He said, you know, it took me 24 hours, but I'm thankful. We, we can't just be thankful when we beat Duke. You know, or Michigan State or be the number one team in the country. If you're going to be thankful then, then we got to be thankful when we get upended because that's supposed to teach us something too. And I'm going to, we're going to use this to see how we can grow from it. I don't know what it's going to give us yet, but we're going to find out. And yeah. so that's, I think that's the reward for us and the guys that when you're able to kind of frame it that way, that's really your reward in itself uh, in this profession. So but shared suffering and shared experiences, those are two of the most galvanizing things because, you know, a teams go through it, a business has got to go through it, a bad quarter or an extremely successful quarter or a merger or whatever it is, you know, something's going to happen along the way in the course of a team season or a business's fiscal year. And these are going to be these kind of little moments of truth. And yeah. how does, how does each organization, each family and life, a business setting and the more aligned a team is more aligned a business is, and the more aligned a family is, then that's going to help them both keep the, the huge moments in perspective and keep the devastating moments in perspective as well. No, that's well said. And I think if we can look, whether you're a coach, player, manager, fan, someone in the media, if you can look at it from these perspectives, there's a lot you can take away. There's a lot you can learn. We all get caught up in the moment, right? That's fine. And it's just yeah. taking a step back. I'm sure, like you said, it took Cal Perry 24 hours to like deal with this thing, to get over it. Sometimes it takes longer, right? right. Maybe it's the end of the right. season loss. Michigan State loses in the final four. 
a lot of their guys come back and they got to deal with that. They got to deal with mm-hmm. the doubters. They got to deal with the haters. They got to deal with the internal, like, if we get back there, are we going to, are we going to lose again? Like, are we going to become the bills of college basketball? Right. Though, you know, we've seen teams actually Virginia. Yeah. I was just going to say yeah, the Virginia UMBC thing. That's as, that's as extreme as it gets in terms of the swings. Right. right? It doesn't get any, it, you know, the pendulum doesn't swing any farther, both directions than that right there. No, not at all. I mean, it happened too before. I mean, you had Carolina, you had Villanova, you had all these different teams there in college basketball. We just got to see it year after year of like, oh my goodness, they lost. So the end of the year they lose and then they come back and they win. And there's just, how'd they mm-hmm. do that? I mean, they took, they had to go through a lot to get there. They had to go through the big demoralizing defeat, but then there's also the, the losing streaks and the winning streaks. And we can apply this, say you're a sales, you talked about insurance agent, just a sales professional inside of an organization you know, take mm-hmm. it down to a, to a shooter who's in a slump and he can't hit it, right? He's sitting behind the three-point line. Normally, he's a 40% shooter and he can't buy a basket. The salesperson goes out on those dreary days. He's doing all those things and he can't buy a sale. He can't buy interest in anything that he's doing. And mm-hmm. I think it's, it's tough and it's really tough in sports, especially at these high levels when yeah. so and you need even the high levels. I see it with my son playing soccer. You see parents over there doubting kids you're like holy cow like but so they're not dealing with it with like social media maybe so a player gets in the locker room after the game maybe he scored six points he was two for 15 and he's already upset his teammates might be upset his coach and then he's got to deal with the fans and the media and it's gotta be brutal and you're talking about now we're going back not even professional going college basketball these are kids 18 to 22 year olds dealing with this stuff how, I mean, there's so much stuff, there's so much content just around these topics, but it could be the opposite too. You could be like hitting everything, but guess what? Everyone knows, you know, keep going, but it might not continue. So you can't get yeah. too high. You can't get too low. Do you yeah. keep shooting? Do you keep showing up that next dreary day, go out there again? It's going to happen for you. Like what's been your way of handling those types of things? You know what? Um, I think it all gets back to perspective. Yeah, I coached a kid one time uh, when I was an assistant, and I was this my first coaching job. Actually, I was uh, in Division Three, and this kid had a, a just an awful, awful slump. Great three point shooter, and went about four or five games where you know just in the gym by himself. He, he didn't feel like you know he could make one, even if he you know throw it in the ocean blind type of feeling. <laughs> I mean, you felt bad for him. We finally had a conversation. I said, "Look, man, you're." You're not just a three-point shooter. You're a basketball player who happens to be really good at shooting the basketball. Eventually, had this conversation later with John Deebler when he was going through a slump during my time at Ohio State. Very similar situation. So when people kind of get in those types of ruts, I think it all gets back to, again, our initial conversation about how aligned is the group right right if that's a if that if that's an insurance guy and he's part of a, a team and they've got to meet certain incentives or quotas or whatever be like are people gonna point the finger at him they probably will if they're not very aligned but if they understand like this is bigger than us everybody's going to have times like this and hey, let's rally around this guy right now because that's what we're about. So again, what's the, the, the alignment of the culture really is going to trigger 
the behavior of the people, right? Yeah. I mean, yep. this, again, family, business, sports, the alignment of the culture is going to trigger the behavior of the people. So if it's unaligned or every man for himself, then that behavior is going to be pretty evident too. <laughs> it's sad as it yeah. sounds, but you see it, you know, whether it's finger pointing or a statement in the media, or, you know, this guy's getting whispered about at the break room cooler or somebody's chipping about somebody at the dinner table, the family dinner table while the person's in the other room. I mean, it just, so the more aligned a culture is, you know, the, the behavior is going to be reflected in that. So for me, individually, and, and I've always tried to foster this everywhere I've been, it's just like, hey, you know, everybody's going to have a moment like that. And you just try to give that person perspective of like, okay, get back to what you do best. You know, what do you do best? And a three-point shooting analogy there it was more about wasn't so much, well, try harder to make threes. You're already trying too hard. That's kind of why we're in the slump. That was more about like, hey, just step back and have fun playing basketball. Do the other things. Defend, hustle, get on the floor for loose balls, go to the glass, you know, uh, and, and rebound and, and be it, do basketball things and let your three-point shooting come as a function of playing basketball. So I think the alignment of the people involved of the group is so important. But then the individual's got to just almost kind of understand, like, you know, step back and this is having some perspective. Like this little isolated stretch, it's just a, it's a tough patch, but it's not the sum of who you are. And, um, you know, when you're surrounded by people that help you keep that perspective, I think that's the, I don't know if there's an easy way to get out of those times, but I think there's a best way to get out of those times. So. That's just kind of always been my perspective with that. Well, yeah. And speaking of perspective, so in North, I'm in North Carolina. So I, I mean, we watch college basketball all the time. Tar Heels obviously are on quite a bit. And you were, well, before we started recording here, well, you were talking about the different places you have been this, in training camps. And you were in Chicago for Chicago Bulls training camp, I believe, or spent some mm-hmm. time at their practice. So Carolina Tar Heels, you got Kobe White. For whatever reason... I was just fascinated by this guy. I just enjoyed watching him play basketball. I had heard about him because he went to high school more towards the coast and a friend of mine, his son had played and they had played against him and he watched him and he's like, you got to pay attention to this Kobe white kid. Cause he's coming up and he's ridiculous. And he said, yeah. his demeanor does not change at all. He's like, and he just wears you out. He said he, he had other kids on his high school team and there, I think there are other kids that went division one, all that. He's like, but he just dominated the court and just did it all with his play. And so anyway, watching him throughout the season, just fun guy to watch play, gets drafted, goes to the Chicago Bulls. I was excited for him. I think that's a good spot for him. And, you know, he's young. What is he, 19 years old? But then he yeah, gets drafted yeah. and you have that draft night video when Cameron Johnson gets drafted. And I'm not a Tar Heels fan. And I just am a fan of college basketball, just a fan of sports. But And then you watch that moment and he's got that wow thing going. And it's not, I mean, someone could argue with me, I suppose, but like, it just seems so genuine. And I love yeah. that stuff. I love oh, yeah. that genuine reaction. And I, then you watch him in Chicago and people are like, I don't know if it's a good fit. And I don't know if he's going to do well or this. And I'm like, I don't know. I'm not betting against this kid. I think this kid, and he, not only that, like we were talking about earlier, he's going to be fun to watch. He's going to do things. And he's already had amazing games in the NBA in the first, you know, three weeks of the season. You just watch this For kid, sure. but 
That is, that's what it's about, right? That to me started somewhere way young for this kid where he had this talent, but he did these things. And I watched my son play and I've seen him on different soccer teams or different sports teams or my, my daughters. And, and you see these moments where like this past weekend, my son played in a soccer tournament and he played great. His team was playing great and they're winning. And in the championship game, the first goal was scored upon him. The defense maybe made a mistake. He made a bigger mistake. He knew it. Yeah. And he was like, man, I'm sorry. They immediately went to him and they said, no, 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 nothing to do with you. You did. You're fine. I made the mistake. They took the heat. Even if he made the mistake, they're like, don't worry. That was embedded in the culture of that team. He's been on other there teams where it had nothing to do with the goal. And they immediately started pointing fingers. You know, as a goalie is a tough position. Point guards got it. Quarterback, pitcher, you know, all these different positions in sports. But you watch a guy like that, like that's the kind of kid, that's the kind of man, now he's in the NBA, you want on your team. But you were in Chicago, you were at their camp. Like, did you, do you see that? Did you witness that yourself? Yeah, yeah. And if you know a little bit more about Kobe White's story, I mean, lost his dad in high school. I want to say it was the cancer, but don't quote me on that. And so his draft night interview with Maria Taylor, you know, Mm -hmm. I think he had a pendant or he had something like a, charm or a chain or something around his neck. And I know DeAndre Hunter may have lost his dad as well. And he had like a, had like a charm with a picture of the two of them inside of it. So again, it gets back to obviously his family and himself, but you get back to shared experiences, right? Shared suffering. And what becomes on the other side of the equal sign of that formula sometimes is authentic substance. And that's what you kind of get when you watch Kobe White play. I mean, there, you know, he, here's a kid that he's got some substance to him. And to have that kind of, you know, both fearlessness and joy to play, you know, at the level that he plays with, don't think that because of what he's gone through has contributed to that. And so when you, when you have, and that, you know, in recruiting, that's, a, that's a, a coach's dream is to have a guy with substance, right? It's not about he just loves being recruited and loves seeing his, you know, likes on Twitter every time he gets an offer or, you know, blessed to say I've received another offer or whatever it is. It's about a guy that loves the craft, and, uh, that loves the game. And, and, you know, what's galvanized that love for the game? Sometimes it's a, a series of, fantastic experiences that have done it and very little, you know, sadness or, or suffering. Uh, a lot of times it's because of the suffering that's galvanized his love for the game. It's crystallized it, right? It's crystallizes relationships. You really know who cares about you and who's really in your corner. That when you walk into every game and you know that, like that just makes you want to cut it loose. And so, you know, I saw that in Chicago, uh, and they got again very young team, probably not too far, you know, age wise away from the New Orleans Pelicans. But sure. it's a great op- it's a great opportunity for a kid like Kobe White to just get thrown into the fire because that's going to be the fastest way he continues to grow. So you hit the nail on the head. You know what you've seen in him uh, from being around in the Carolina area. He's definitely carried that into the NBA, and it is pretty cool to watch. Yeah, <laughs> it is fast. It's fun to watch. And you look at a team like the Bulls, and you were saying that they're very young, Laurie Markkinen and Zach Levine. I mean, these, Zach Levine's like one of the oldest guys on the team, I think, maybe, right? <laughs> or seemingly. 
the one at least who yeah. plays. Maybe Denzel Denzel Valentine is crazy. Yeah, yeah there you, know? you go. And it's which is crazy because I think he was just in college two minutes ago, right? <laughs> but it's yeah. Are they going to the play? Maybe they make a run. Maybe they make the playoffs. Maybe they're a seven eight seed. But chances are they won't. And and I get it. In Chicago, it's tough because you're you're in the shadows of. Maybe a little bit of Derrick Rose's years when he was there, but mostly, right, the six NBA championships. You talked about Phil Jackson earlier. That's difficult. That was a long time ago now. It was in the 90s, so it's difficult to live up to. But it's like, I get it. I could could watch my teams and get really frustrated as a fan, but it's not the players. It's It's not the players. They didn't put themselves there. It's the organization that you could get frustrated with. Are they even committed to winning? Or is this just about money for them? And now they're manipulating us to show up to the games and you're like, they don't even want to put a good product on the court. They just want to, you know, make you pay the dollars when you to show up and when you're there. But you watch a team maybe like Chicago a little bit and you see their youth move and you see like, no, this could be fun. This could be a fun ride to be a part of. They had, they're doing things different ways. And, you know, you get behind that like we talked about before. Yeah. And then you're watching maybe the style of play, the ways things are going. Because and you said, I think before we were started recording again, where is the game going? It's already evolved. And I think, you know, if we talked two years ago, I say, hey, what's going on? We're just seeing three pointers and this. It's the analytics, right? We've talked about this now multiple times, yeah. you and I. People are talking. I've just read an article and I saw these amazing analytics. And you're like, it, yeah, you gotta you gotta use the the eye test, but that includes the analytics. But where where is it going? We know three pointers, right? More valuable than a 15-foot jump shot because you know it's 50% more, whatever that might be. So where do you mm-hmm. see this game going? Because, you know, the Warriors did what they did. Small ball, they're shooting the threes. They have great shooters. They're making it. But other teams have caught up. Things have changed. Like, where do you see the game of basketball going? I mean, besides international, which is obviously a major deal for the sport because you're seeing these guys come over here and they're phenomenal. Yeah. They're good athletes. They're unbelievable at fundamentals. They can shoot. They can dribble. They're, a lot of them happen to be tall, which doesn't hurt, but they can play inside, outside. Like, where do you see the game going overall as we stand here today, knowing that it's already evolved to this point? Yeah, I think you said the phrase. I mean, the game has just, it's gotten smaller over time. You know, the days of big meatheads, you know, and and coaches call it playing big. There might be some isolated times where that happens. But, you know, for the most part, I think the game is going to continue to trend this way and, and go smaller where the court is more spread. Uh, you know, you don't see too many post moves in the NBA these days where guys got it back to the basket, kind of like an old school pound it to the middle of the floor and shoot a jump hook. That's not to say that that skill shouldn't be coached individually, you know, uh, with big guys, because there's going to be those times where you got to, you know, your skills got to be ready for the moment, you know, and sometimes the moment might require that. But the majority of, of big guys now have to be action creators, meaning, you know, good, you know, pick and roll guys and and screeners and be good at finishing off the action that they create, you know? And so, and then obviously with guards, you know, I think three point shooting is a big deal, but, you know, I think the thing that probably gets overanalyzed is the, you know, people talk about, you know, mid range shots. Right, you've heard people talk about oh, the mid-range shot's not a good shot analytically. Well, I'd like to maybe kind of add an asterisk to that because um, I think Kawhi Leonard thinks mid-range shot's a pretty good shot. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and so, but 
it's the it's the difference is a challenged mid-range shot is not a good shot, right? That's the shot that every defense wants to squeeze the offense into shooting because every defense wants to protect the rim and every defense wants to protect the three-point line. And you want to try to squeeze the offense into as many tough mid-range or inside the arc, you know, if at the rim is the A range and the three-point line is the C range, how many tough shots can you force the offense to take within the B range, whether it's mid-range or two feet inside the three-point line or whatever it is, or at the rim, but a guy's got to jump up and he's shooting over a guy as big as him that's kind of putting both hands in the air and just making him shoot a tough challenge shot. So I think it's a challenge mid-range shot is not a great shot, but if it's a clean look and the game and the action kind of, you know, creates a shot that's at 16, 18 feet and you got a clean look at the rim, anytime you get a clean look at the rim, to me, that's a great shot. So I think what gets yeah. overanalyzed is the mid-range shot, that it's not good analytically. Houston, you know, the Rockets are like, hey, we want threes and we want shots at the rim. But there'll be times where you'll see hard and shoot or mid-range pull-up. But most of the time, it's going to be a clean one just because people are trying to run them off the three-point line. So if you're trying to run people off the three-point line because people are shooting so many, then it's still some merit to being a good mid-range basketball player. And so, and I think if you look at Kawhi Leonard, who people might argue who's the best right now, LeBron, Kawhi, obviously KD, LeBron's probably got the worst mid-range game of those three. The other two guys got pretty good mid-range games. And yep. they're okay with it. <laughs> yeah, well, it's the taking what they can get, right? You see it in football a lot. You know, kind of if we want to take away the underneath stuff and we don't want you going over the top, we have to mm-hmm. give up something. You can't stop it all. So we're going to give up the middle of the field. Now we think your quarterback can't make those plays. And so you, and if they do, they're going to get yards out of it, but you're going to live with it because it's kind of like you're saying, we don't want you getting to the rim. We don't want you shooting the three. So it's going to exactly. possibly, I think I like what you're saying. It's going to go the other direction, which it already has. Kawhi Leonard wins the NBA championship last year by pulling up quite a bit in the mid-range, yeah. like you said, with an open look. And Drew, and Drew Brees is going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer because he can, in, and I don't know how many balls he's thrown more than 40 or 50 yards in the air for touchdowns in his career. But he's the most accurate mid-range, accurate thrower, whether it's uh, quick outs, big routes, hitting his check down guys, whatever it is, like he's, he's pretty accurate doing the simple stuff. Yeah. And Drew, Drew Brees would be the equivalent of a great mid range basketball player in the NBA. And and Chris Paul, I looked at his, it was about, I think two or three years ago, I saw his end of the season shot attempts and makes and like basically the elbow area and like, you know, especially on the right side, it it seemed to be, um, but they had, you know, these tiny dots that kind of basically were all the shots he'd made. And he had made some threes and they had some dots at the rim, but he had a huge amount of dots right around that 15, 17 foot elbow area. Why? Because he's such a good pick and roll player. You know, people like, Hey, we can't let him get to the rim because he's, he's going to lay it in. So we're going to stay in front of him and make him shoot it in the mid-range. And he's probably been traditionally one of the best uh, mid-range players as well, especially, you know, in his prime. So 
I think things can be overanalyzed to some degree, but the game is going to continue to 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 go the way it's going. I think some of it is is because of the international flavor as well. I think twenty five percent of the NBA right now is, is the, the last figure I heard is uh, has international guys. So because of that, that's flavor, amazing. <laughs> yeah, that's that a big flavor. number. I, I knew it was big. I didn't know it was twenty five percent. And yeah, I mean, I guess when you think about it, it makes sense because it's not just it's from many countries all over the globe. Yeah, and so you know, you're only talking about you know you're you're really it's basically around ninety just in a hundred out of out of you know four hundred forty jobs or something like that, and yep. four hundred forty yep. roster spots, whatever the case may be. So you're basically talking right around. You know, hundred guys, and so, but that flavor has kind of bled into the NBA over the past several years. So, you know, the passing and the, and the skill level, and again, just the the spread court, you know, type of philosophy. Yep. All right. So, I want to touch on one other topic, and I know it's a it's a sensitive topic, but maybe not as sensitive anymore because of the fact that all the news that's coming out, the changes that are going to happen. But it's big, right? Yeah. You saw it in college football. Obviously, you see it in college basketball. You know where I'm going. It's with the NCAA, getting paid for likeness, all the things that are there. I don't think they have an idea as to what this will look like and how they're possibly going to control it. You know, And then you have one of the best players, maybe the best or freshman in the country, who right now for Memphis is ineligible to play. He, they, uh, James Wiseman, they, they allowed him to play. And then right. they had to hold him out while they worked through this situation. And it's a... It's unfair. It's it's unfortunate, I should say, for everybody because you would want to watch him play. If, if you haven't seen him play, you should put on the tape and watch him play. He could be the number one pick. He's going to be a top three pick, it would seem like, in the NBA draft. But now he's not allowed to play because of Penny Hardaway. I guess before he was ever a coach, loaned him $11,500 or gave him $11,500 to move to that area. I don't know what that all means, and I don't know the court case or what's going to possibly happen with that. But college yeah. basketball is going through this. Chase Young for Ohio State just had his situation where he borrowed money to fly his girlfriend out to the Rose Bowl. It's against the rules and all that. And he had to pay a penalty when it ever it came out. They figured out it's got two game suspension. What do you see? You've been a part of it. You've seen guys, you've been around elite players. Evan Turner, a top player, going to be a top draft pick in the NBA. I mean, he easily, you know, you show, you walk down, you know, high street, his jersey's for sale. No different than Chase Young's jersey's for sale. No different than James Wiseman's jersey's for sale. And and just yeah. the different things that they would be able to do, you know, there's no doubt they can build a following while they're in school. So there's definitely, they have that potential there. But let's be honest, I mean, people make a lot of money off of these guys. I'm just curious as to, as you've seen this whole thing unfold and it's coming in the news as to what you're thinking about it right now. And obviously things can change based on the rules. So we're not going to hold you to what you think, but just curious as to where yeah. your mind's with it right now. Yeah, that's a great question, Eric. I mean, I, you know, I'm all for players having the the most uh, the best quality of life uh, that they can have in college that's le- you know legal quality of life <laughs> let me let me rephrase that <laughs> I'm all for yeah. for guys being a- able to have that I think the toughest part of this topic is I think there's a lot of people that have kind of followed the mob on it but I don't know if they know the full ramifications of, of waving a torch in the air and what that all means. Uh, my, my only concern, probably my biggest concern would be, you know, the, the single hardest thing to do in sports from a coaching perspective anyway, 
is to try to build a true team atmosphere. And the thing that might, you know, would be challenging, I'm not saying teams couldn't overcome it or find a, some type of, uh, you know, paradigm to handle it, but like if a quarterback is pulling down or pulls down from his jersey sales or autograph sessions or whatever the case, you know, whatever's legally allowed for them to be paid for. Let's say yeah. you know, quarterbacks, you know, pull down, you know, $15,000 a year and an offensive lineman, yeah. you know, is kind of, you know, two lockers away and he's hearing about this over and over. And then, and you got a receiver over here that, you know, he pulled down 18,000. Right. And so now what are all these conversations about? My, my fear is, is the locker room, does the locker room get threatened? And I think a lot of people pumping their fists about this, you know, haven't thought that they haven't thought that far ahead. I think they thought about yeah. like, Hey, let's, you know, this is, this is the right thing to do. Yeah. Two things can be true as well. You know, this this may be the right thing to do. That can be true. Could it also be something that becomes incredibly destructive to a locker room that affects the very type of culture that coaches are trying to build? Yeah. That can also be true. And that probably is my biggest fear out of it all. Like I said, I'm all for guys having the best quality of life because I get it. There are kids that come into the college, like a, you know, like a ESPN's Greg McElroy or admit it, you know, like, Hey, I didn't, uh, I came from a family that I was going to probably go to college or not. You know, I mean, it, I just happened to be good enough to be a good football player where I got a scholarship, but uh, you know, his family didn't have any challenges. Right. A lot, a lot of guys, families do have challenges and college is nowhere near on the radar, but for this scholarship situation. But then after that, you know, and, and some strides have been made, you know, the apostolic, you know, uh, that's come into play. So, you know, there have been some strides made, but I think this one, I just think it's got to be really, really well thought out and really clear on how it's going to shake down. Because, again, I, I just think my, uh, my ultimate fear is a locker room. It's one of the most sacred things you know, that a team has because the amount of time you spend together and the amount of things that you're trying to do to get, whether it's 85 guys in football or, you know, 12 to 15 guys in basketball or, you know, 25 guys in baseball, all heading in the same direction and trying to be in a, a, as aligned as possible because the windows to be really, really good and really, really special are so small and so tight that, you know, something that something like this could really affect it. And I don't know, I'm not saying I can predict how it would affect it, but I'm just uh, in a very strong way, I guess I'm saying I would be very concerned about the long-term effects. All the while, understanding the short-term need, I get it. I understand the point, yeah. But I, th- I just think the, the back end of this whole thing has got to be really well thought out. Everybody that's in the room, this has got to be really crystal clear before they hit the go button. Yeah. Well, I can always count on you to, to think through things a little bit more because, like you said, 
people jump to it and say, yes, yes. And, and absolutely, I think we both agree that something needs to be done and they have to figure this thing out because it's kind of crazy how it's built today. The amount of millions or billions of dollars, we should say, that's that are, that are changing hands. And, and it, you know, and, and there's, there's going to be jealousy. There's going to be like, Time, you know, what about so someone if they get paid for the likeness? Because that mean they could be in a commercial, so they have a commercial shoot. Are they going to make it to practice on time? You know, there's because these are balancing acts. Like, and and do you have a do you have a booking agent? Like, who gets to be involved, and how are they connected to the next level? Are they allowed right. to be connected to the next level? Meaning, can they have an MBA agent that somehow gets involved, or maybe not an agent but an attorney who knows? I mean the. <laughs> It's complicated, right. let's to say the no, least, he, and, and I don't know how they do it. And, and an agent who's actually, that's who Chase Young got his loan from. So, right. you know, that's the, that's the challenging thing right there. Like, I understand it's, you know, considered a family friend, but if a family friend is also an agent, then how deep does that go? You know, because right. traditionally that's been a lot of the times the, the, the the teams that kind of want to quote unquote be dirt, <laughs> it's the use of an agent. Basically, you know, when it's a really high level guy, is the agent gets brought in to kind of be a, a front and just say, hey, you know, what would it take to get you guys through this next year comfortably? You know, X amount of dollars gets exchanged, you know, in whatever way. And knowing full well that when this guy signs his first you know, when it's time to become a professional, I'm going to be your agent. And the agent just sits back and saying, you know, my 3% is more than going to take care of what I'm giving up on the front end, you know, to, to seal right. this deal. So, and again, you know, not right at all, but that's kind of the, the common way, whether it's, based, you know, basketball or football, that a lot of this stuff uh, has been getting done. So, but I'm with you. I, I, I think... You know, the one person I would really love to hear, like uh, a detailed way to attack it, is uh, is Jay Billis, because um, you know Jay's been very outspoken against the the level of money that schools are pulling in uh, versus you know the the disenfranchisement of the kids. But I, I I don't know. I'm not sure why. I don't know if he feels that he needs to. But obviously, with him having a law background and, and, and all that, right. I would really love to hear some of his solutions. Uh, I hear a lot of his right. complaints, and I get it. <laughs> but I, I no, I think he's I on. Love, I'm sorry. No, yeah, I think you're right. You want to hear what he has to say. He's got the law background, and I agree with you. We hear a lot of complaints, and this is you know, there's a lot of pontificating that happens. One of my complaints to him, and I see people on social media, so I don't disagree with everything he says. I mean, yeah. I agree with a lot, but I, there's some disagreements and maybe not disagreements. It's more of, well, ESPN's profiting off of all of this. You know, I get it. They make an investment and they make money off of it. So at what point do the people that are making a lot of money off of it take a stand? Are they willing to put their skin in the game to risk mm -hmm. losing something? Because right now I don't see that. Yeah, they could... They might lose connections because they said something bad about the NCA, but I think you know I, I think that's just an easy target for everybody to just blame the NCA and and, sure. and and rightfully so. But it's like, what are people willing to risk? So is Jay Billis willing to say, "Listen, I'm not calling this game because I don't think it's right that I profit off of these kids that are playing basketball right now." I'm not saying he has to do that, but like, 
how far are people willing to take this? How much risk are we willing, is someone willing to put out there to say, no, I'm not going to be a part of it because I think we're taking advantage of these kids as opposed to, yeah, you can complain about it, but while he possibly has a lot of great points, I would say ESPN is a big part of the problem here and where they say all these things, yet they're gladly taking any checks that they can possibly take on these kids you know, and, and not giving anything back or not, you know what, who's got weight to throw around here a little bit. Don't tell me ESPN doesn't have some weight that they could throw around and they can make cause a ruckus and that ruckus yeah. could cause the next thing to happen. Well, you actually just closed the circle on this whole conversation, Eric. And I don't know if you realize you, you were or, or that you did, but you know, one of our original topics was the length of seasons, right? You have 20 conference games now at the college level in some aspects. And um, obviously the NBA season really hasn't changed in terms of length. There's been discussions of shortening it because now you're getting into, you know, load management and, you know, that part being abused and, and whatever. But television has become the impetus behind a lot of this. And obviously the NCAA has got a relationship with CBS in terms of NCAA tournament. ESPN has got a relationship with various conferences, packages. People might say, I think 20 conference games is way too many. I think 16 is a good number, 18 at the very most. 20 is a lot, especially if you get a high-level league and teams you know, beating up on each other. But again, you're saying, well, why go to 20 games? I don't know if it's particularly fans that would like two two to four more conference games, but knowing that two to conf- two to four more conference games being televised, then it's like, oh, now I get it, right? So yep. TV's king. That's kind of the, yep. the 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 crux of the entire length of a season and why I doubt you'll probably see an NBA season get shortened because again, the relationship that ESPN TNT have with the NBA just from a, a revenue perspective, because you're talking less games, that's less revenue. <laughs> so Yep. Yep. Talk less college games. You know, that that's why Fran Priscilla has been a big proponent of the NCAA uh, going to four quarters because FIBA and international play is four quarters. And then obviously the professional basketball is four quarters, just two more minutes per quarter, but still a quarter makes a game flow better. And, and I don't mean that. I know I've gotten I'm digressing here a little bit. I apologize, but like, that's okay. You know, being with the Texas women's basketball program last year, that was my first time coaching even though I didn't have a coaching position per se, but being a part of a program where, you know, I dealt with four quarters. I love the flow of the game. I, I, I was blown away how much I loved it because the game does flow easier. Games were over in two hours. You know, we'd yeah. have a game start at seven o'clock and I'd look at my watch, walking walk into the locker room, it'd be eight fifty-five. Yeah. And, but one reason why I doubt you'll see for various reasons, but I think one reason why is the level of commercials that would be affected by more basketball being played because of fewer media timeouts, which result in more commercials. <laughs> you see, you see where all this is going, right? So, yep. um, 
that's one of the reasons why I don't know that college basketball will go to four quarters, even though it's it's just it's just naturally the best thing for the game. It just makes so much sense. So anyway, I know I really went a little bit off script there, but it kind of really wraps it, puts a bow around what you were initially talking about. And one of the length of season things and the reasons why it is what it is, uh, because TV is king at at the end of the day. Well, there's a lot of hype, right? So they got to pump up these games. They need more. It's content, right? It's this podcast. It's you and I talking and perhaps someone hears it. They want to talk to us. Maybe they want to work with us on our marketing business, right? I get it. We're, we're a part of that animal. I try to say, I believe we do a genuine, we do genuine content where I think it's real. And I think the things that we say are real and what we believe and we're trying, there's a lot of different, and we've talked about it in other episodes, other podcasts, how we feel about and why podcasting is important. It's just important. It gets me an opportunity to talk to someone like you and I can learn from you and learn to think about sports in different ways as I'm thinking, because I'm thinking about this stuff. So I get to talk to you about it. It's just different. Like it's, but it's content at the end of the day. We yeah. put a game on. Now I can go to whatever I want to go to, or we can self, they can self promote, right? Disney and all this stuff. Yeah. But it's, it's obvious. <laughs> and then there's people that they're in bed with, right? They have relationships with the SEC and ACC. I mean, let's just be for honest. Sure. For anyone to think that they don't have a bias towards that, they're lying to themselves if they don't think they do. If everyone would just come out and admit it, we might be better off because it's like, come on, we get it. You know, Big Ten has some Fox relationships. I understand it. So they're going to be biased on that side. It's just like politics with Fox and NBC, right? Let's just all exactly. admit that's what's happening. And I think we'd be better yeah. off for it instead of, ponti- yeah. and, and you could still pontificate. Jay Bills can still say what he wants to say, but when he gets on the game and rants for five minutes about how these kids are being taken advantage of, yet he's taking home a major check because he gets to broadcast that game. It's just like, are we seriously having this conversation right now? Right. And I, right. I just wonder who takes it to that next level. Does a coach but I get it because you don't want to, you know, ESPN gives them a lot of money and they've probably been instructed, do not say anything bad about ESPN, right? <laughs> or or oh, whoever sure. is in the media. Absolutely. And, you know, I, and again, I'm not saying Jay Billis says the boycott a game because I'm a martyr in any way. But, no, right. You know, that's one thing I, you know, uh, I would always, you know, coaches always say this in all sports, you know, don't tell me it's raining, you know, go find me an umbrella. You know, right. uh, like that, you yeah. know, so it, I, my thing with Jay would be like, Hey, yeah, I would love lay to, it out. No, I'm the one. I was the one saying that. So they shouldn't hold it against you. They can hold it against me that I called it out. But you know, what could happen is it's forget Jay Bills or whoever, when does the game start and the players don't show up on the court? So we get to the final four, the first semifinal. And I'm not saying this is going to happen. And I don't think that these kids should have to be the ones that have to lose their opportunity to play in the final four. But people have protested things before. What if those kids don't show up on the court and say, we want 10% of the proceeds of this, of whatever's generated from this final four tournament. I get it. I'm not saying that's going to happen. I'm just, there's going to be a time when someone's going to have had enough and they're going to take a stand and something can happen. I don't know. It could be completely outrageous. And maybe there's an easier way to do this whole thing or the threat of sitting out. I don't know. I'm just saying that there's a lot of stuff happening here. Yeah. Like you said, you've already gone deep. How does it affect the locker room? Well, now they're going to say, well, coaches are just something else you're going to have to deal with now. Get over it, right? right? You guys are making right. a lot of money, so deal with the locker room situation that these guys make no money and this guy's pulling in $100,000 a year. I, I don't know what that answer... I, I'm not saying that's the way it should be handled. It's just like there's so many things that we haven't even thought through with this 
that it's oh, going to be, it's, you. you know what it is at the end of the day, it's great for the media. It's great for conversation for things like this, because it's just topics of discussion and things to think through. And it's fascinating. And I think it does apply, you know, like we talked about before, we're, we've talked about like wrapping the bow on it. We've talked about the shortened seasons. How do you shorten your seasons? And the seasons are long, but you know what? That's the season. If you want to play college basketball, you have to play 20 games in your, in your conference. That, those yeah. are the rules. If you want to play college football, the rules are, we don't know what the rules are. We're going to pick four teams at the end of the year and you may or may not be one of them. Right. Okay. Like, so that's the choice that you, if you want to play at this company and they say you have to make a hundred sales calls, well, those are the rules of engagement. If you don't like it, go do something else. So I think it all, it all ties in together. It's just, I mean, we could go on for hours, I bet, talking about this stuff and maybe we should, but it's a fascinating conversation. It's fascinating always talking to you about this stuff because you have a lot of wisdom and you've seen a lot and been through a lot. And I just appreciate the time that you give us to, to talk about these things. Oh, Eric, man, this is great. I mean, absolutely great therapy for me to talk about something I love. And um, if I were to get another coaching job again with this landscape approaching the way it is, I think the first thing I would do is go visit with a, a professional coach, whether an NBA or or NFL guy and get his advice on handling the locker room because yep. that's what you have at that level. You know, you have the quarterback yeah. making 35 million a year and then you have the offensive lineman making 6 million a year. Right. Um, yeah, but the smart. offensive lineman's in the trenches and getting his head beat in yeah. 70, 80 plays a game. And his whole job is to keep the quarterback's uniform clean because you're on the outskirts of creating the end of amateurism once we you know they haven't done it yet but they're right on the edge of ending quote-unquote amateurism and and stepping over into a professional oh for sure well i mean you're just starting to think about so think about all the money that's been accumulated by some of the names you've mentioned before lebron james kevin durant the people that they know jay-z right there's different people now in the world that have significant amounts of money that have connections with people at what mm-hmm. point, maybe when they're retired and they're looking to, what do we do next? Do they go out and say, you know, Hey, it didn't work for the ball family, maybe with uh, the big baller brand or with the different leagues that they were trying to create, but yeah. that doesn't mean someone else won't try, right? They say, let's do something different here. We can still get you the education. We'll figure that out. We'll align ourselves yeah. with the university or some other organization come play in this league with these people, yeah. with some of the, I'm not saying that they're even interested in doing that. I don't know, but you see them on social media talking about it. They're fed up with it. LeBron James commented on all these guys on Chase Young and James Wiseman. It'll be interesting to see what happens. It's not going to happen tomorrow, but just let's pay, keep paying attention. And it's, well, it's fascinating. It's, it's funny you mentioned that Eric, uh, there's a guy I used to coach named David West that, you know, uh, coached him sure. two years at Xavier, maintained a relationship to the end of his pro career. He has planted a seed with this, along with uh, a, I believe he's a lawyer in uh, Cleveland, a guy by the name of Ricky Vellante. And they had been basically kind of formulating uh, this deal. Uh, it's called the uh, Historical Basketball League. And I would encourage you to Google it. You can read all about yep. it. It's actually planning to launch, I want to say, in June of 2021. And it's basically a 28 to 30 game league that, uh, or, you know, season that's played in the summer with the idea that they are still going to offer, you know, guys a chance to get an education, you know, and they 
the season's played at the precise time where it is, so it doesn't affect guys that want to get their education. I, I want to say they're going to be able to make between fifty and one hundred fifty thousand dollars. It's a salary ranges, so this is alive. Uh, it's something yeah. that's moving, and I think their biggest challenge right now, until maybe the NBA age limit gets changed, is going to be just accessing a big enough you know pool of players because. You know, with guys having to go to college right now and that being in place, that could maybe affect their ability to draw the talent level that they like. But if this 18, you know, or 19-year-old, you know, one-and-done thing gets lifted, now you're talking about a, a whole pool of guys that would not plan on going to college or would don't want to, they have a chance to not so much, uh, you know, maybe they don't want to go overseas. They want to stay in the States. They still want to go to school. They just don't want to go to college. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. It's a big yeah. difference. They're still, they're still getting a chance to go to school. They just don't want to go to college. And that's right. kind of what this HBL is, is, is. That's their kind of their mission. We still want to, you're going to be, have your own agent, uh, agent. You're going to be able to obviously get paid for your likeness, all those things. They're going to be allowed because it's technically a professional league, but it's a professional league that's still helping guys get an education. So I would encourage you to Google it. Yep. Yeah, I've, I've had some conversations with Dave about it just in terms of how they're doing, and it's a thing. So, you know, I think they want to shoot for June of 2021. Yeah. I think May of 2021 is the start of their very first season. And uh, I think they're starting off with like eight different teams and they've got the locations, you know, laid out already, mostly East coast, you know, based teams. Uh, and I think the historical basketball league name came from, I think most, uh, a lot of the cities that have HBC schools in the region. So I think part of the, historical basketball league thing is guys that are in the league. It's not a requirement, but it's guys that maybe that would be encouraged to attend an HBCU as part of their education. Yeah. With the conference or with the league. So anyway, I didn't mean to really, I didn't mean to overdo it there with explaining that, but it, 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 you had mentioned somebody that's going to challenge this whole paradigm that we have. And that's what those, you know, David and, and Ricky are planning to do. Yeah, and I've heard I've heard about David West and you know what he's been doing. And then I've, as we as you were talking, I pulled it up just to kind of get a feel for it. And you're absolutely right. I mean, it's a movement, and things are going to happen, and more people are going to possibly get involved. So I'm gonna we'll be paying attention to it for sure. I mean, this it's like we talked about. Where's the game going? Well, there's a lot yeah. of different things: the style of play, <laughs> where you'll play, who's gonna play. I mean, there, there's oh, so yeah. many layers to it, and it's fun to talk about, and it's fun to be a part of that sport, and in the different ways that you can contribute to it, and whether it's just a fan or coaching or playing or getting out in the driveway and beating your son in a basketball game, right? It all <laughs> it all matters, yeah. man. But I appreciate Alan. You, uh, like I said before, spending time with us and want to continue doing things like this. No, Eric, anytime, man. I appreciate it. And uh, yeah, I appreciate you having me, buddy. One of my favorite things about our Sportsypreneur content platform is the opportunity to chat with amazing people in and around the world of sports like Alan Major. You can learn more about Alan at coachmajor.com. 
We hope you enjoyed the conversation. If you want to connect more, hit us up on Instagram at Sports Epreneur. Thank you for listening to the Sports Epreneur podcast, the podcast where sports and entrepreneurship collide.